Okay, here we go now. Well, welcome to Old Dog New Tech, the podcast that explores edtech ideas, innovations, and integration methods from the experienced old dog side of things. My name is Jeff West, and I've been a K-12 music educator for 27 years, and I am passionate about edtech. I love using it. So let's get started at taking a look at how this can be used in your classroom. Well, it's episode 41 of Old Dog New Tech. I'm Jeff West. Thanks for joining me on my 41st episode. I hope you're enjoying this podcast and passing it along to some friends, and maybe you have utilized some of the tech I've uh, outlined or ideas. If you have, you know, drop me a line. Leave me a review on iTunes. Leaving those reviews helps others find uh, this podcast. If it's helpful to you, I maybe be helpful to anyone else. So. This week, I am talking about a couple of things. Uh, first, I'm talking a little bit about blended learning. And I'm sure you can probably find a plethora of articles about what it is and how to do it, but I'm just going to take one from blended, blended, it's hard to say, blendedlearning.org. I read a, a while back when I was completing my master's work in ed tech. And I found it helpful to me because it explained it very succinctly easy to understand, and it gives you different options. And I think the the point that I want to make about um, blended learning and what I like about this article is that there's a menu. And I think that as we're going forward in education, that that's going to be a lot of what education is going to be like. I know we have this scheduling that happens, but there's you know class requests and then scheduling and there's a lot of people that work together to make that happen. But once you get past that and gets into your classroom, there's still that menu aspect. And um, we're going to need to obviously concentrate on state standards and, I guess, you know, uh, standardized tests as long you know, until someone finally figures out, hey, maybe this isn't the one thing. And, that we need to focus on education, but anyhow, and but I think you can offer different ways of delivering content or letting students find their the answers. So that's kind of what this episode is about. We're taking a look at some blended learning styles, and then a piece of tech that I think can be as flexible as you need it to be, and that is the introduction to episode forty-one. Amazing, wasn't it? All right, let's get going. So here I am in Michigan, and we've been missing a fair number of days between the snow and the ice and that couple of days of just crazy cold. I'm sure everyone has seen some lower temperatures this winter than they used to. But uh, during that time, it, it struck me that really the weather is going to become less and less of an object you know, missing school doesn't have to be uh, uh, so detrimental to progress if we're looking at and utilizing technology. I don't think we're there yet in the in the education world. I don't I don't really have a timeline for when when that will change. I think for some teachers it has. They're they're online quite a bit. I mean, obviously, if you're an online class, but for those of us that are in 
public or private, you know, still the face-to-face time is important. But uh, I think education is starting to find that blended learning might have a larger value, might be the way that education is going to look, if that's something that you think about in the future. Um, I... You know, I I kind of think we did it. You know, back back in the day before technology really became a thing. You know, we you tried. It was so teacher driven. Your teacher in front of the class, and you watching and listening and doing, then the work and going home with homework. Which, by the way, homework. What some people are so. Uh, I was reading a Twitter uh, chat about it. Think and they were. Some mostly against having any homework and punishing for not turning it in and so forth. And I thought, you know, I think this is an important conversation, but that's not the only thing. We in our in in the world we tend to get too focused on one or two aspects of something, and and uh, and forget to look at the the larger picture. But. Anyway, I think blended learning is the way we're going to be headed uh, as more of the regular, quote-unquote, classroom setting. And you're seeing more flexible classroom ideas coming up. And I think as, you're, as you utilize something like that, if you put a more of a flex, flexible classroom setting together, you, you may find that the blended learning aspect is going to work better because even if they're in school, they... With the teacher, the teacher can facilitate more and be the driver less and just kind of show them the direction. You're more like the navigation system, I guess. Let the kids drive. So taking a look at some models of blended learning, I I have an article that I read a couple years ago, and I bookmarked it, and I like to go back and review it. It it goes over uh, blended learning models. So here they are. First one is a station rotation. This is from blendedlearning.org. I'll put it in the show notes. Their description is that the model allows students to rotate through stations on fixed schedule. This is pretty much like the way science class used to go for me back when I was a student. There were different things laid out, and we had to make observations and maybe fill out a worksheet and then maybe take something from that worksheet and do a report on it or something along those lines. But now with technology, um, all of that is in that station. It's not just the one frog you're looking at. Another uh, model is a lab rotation. I like the station rotation. It allows students to rotate through stations on a fixed schedule. But in this case, online learning occurs in a dedicated computer lab. So I think if your school goes one to one, maybe a dedicated computer lab is more is dedicated more to actual classes that need something specific that can only be loaded, say, because of license requirements onto certain computers. It can't just be out there for anybody to use. It's not open. Um, if you don't have one to one, then this may be something that you want to take a look at. This station, this uh, excuse me, lab rotation. All right, another model, individual rotation. Students can rotate through stations, but on an individual schedule set by a teacher or a software algorithm. 
So unlike the other rotation models, students do not necessarily rotate to every station. They rotate only to the activities scheduled on their playlists, is what the site calls it. Very interesting. So as I'm stopping here in the middle just for a minute to say, this is all, uh, I'm assuming that we're looking at the needs of the student, which is can be a challenge because we teachers were trained to uh, look at the content and have that be the driver. And to some extent, it is a little bit of the of the drive because we, the professional, know what the students need to know, and we follow these these goals and standards. And we try to make sure that we cover them all so that they're ready for their state standardized tests or that they're prepared for society or whatever their next steps in life are, are going to take them to. But I think the focal point is the student need. Some students come with abilities that enable them to succeed and achieve goals and have to work harder at others. And I think goals are going to be mm, more broad because technology makes it, uh, gives us the capability to look up these more specific goals that have been such a part of education, you know, performing a particular function or writing in a particular way or, or identifying uh, particular objects in science or in any, any subject. Uh, I mean, those are going to obviously be necessary, but I think the ability to identify them utilizing technology is going to remove the need to have that kind of memorization present as much. It's going to be more about how can you, once you figure that out, figure out what the problem is or what the next step is or what's the goal or you or organize people to do that. You know, the, the more broader concepts that utilize multiple skills, um, like those outlined in the 21st century skills, communication, creativity, collaboration, and critical thinking. You need a lot uh, you need to synthesize a lot of content and uh, you need to be able to do that. And so being educated, utilizing those types of thought processes, I think are going to become much a much bigger part of the educational process than they have been. So, all right, back to the blended learning. So how do we get there? Another idea is a flipped classroom, which many of us have at least heard those words, I'm sure. But... Identified here, the flipped classroom model flips the traditional relationship between class time and homework. A student learns at home via online coursework and lectures, and the teachers use class time for, for teacher-guided practice or projects. This model. This model enables uh, teachers to use class time for more than delivering traditional lectures. So I kind of pause in between sentences because I'm kind of soaking it in and I'm, and processing and thinking of how these things could work for my students right now. Now I'm a music teacher, band director, and a lot of the things that I see coming out uh, for suggestions for, I guess, the traditional classroom to utilize are things that bands and choirs have been using for some time. Um, we, our technology has just been printed music and an, and an instrument. 
So we give the music to them and we show them how it goes and then we guide them through rehearsal and we know particular ways to rehearse to help them learn and then perform and work together. So some of these things that as I read them, I'm going, that sounds a lot like uh, my classroom has been for 20 years. Um, but that doesn't always necessarily mean it was successful. Sometimes you have to change up the way you do it because the traditional rehearsal doesn't always work. All right, next, the flex blended learning model. Let students move on fluid schedules among learning activities according to their needs. This is the flex model. Teachers provide support and instruction on flexible as needed basis while the students work through course curriculum and content. This model can give students a high degree of control over their learning, which is okay. We're, we're big into that now. I don't remember at any time I was talking over talking with some students that at any time in my career that the control of learning being a larger portion, a larger concern for students than at any time in my career. Or uh, when I was a student, you know, we did things because our elders said, this is what you need to do. So do it because I said so. And that doesn't, that's not a, a working excuse anymore. That's not meaningful to young people. They need to understand. And a lot of that has come from technology, from the fact that they have so much at their fingertips and they find out falsehoods about something that they were told they need to know, they're still questioning, you know, I don't see how the, the importance of this. Some of that's, some of that's a, a good thing and some of it's not because the things I've learned through my career that I didn't know when I started it, I was questioning the validity of the need for it. Now that I'm older, I'm going, okay, yeah, I get it now. This is why I needed to know. And this is why I needed to just put my trust in my teachers or elders who told me this is what you need to do. But now that I'm older and I realize the importance of it, trying to master that is much more of a challenge. And it kind of puts me behind in comparison to others who learned it. So there's kind of a balance there. It's good that students are able to take more of an interest in, in their learning. But because they don't have the experience or knowledge, they don't have, I, I don't think they can make as good of a decision, an informed decision, until they've experienced it. So they, so putting the trust in the adult to, to learn what the adult says or what adults who have made up state standards have say uh, is important. I think there's a balance there. All right, a la carte blended learning enables students to take an online course with an online teacher of record in addition to other face-to-face -face courses. This often provides students with more flexibility over their schedules. So again, we're back to the meeting their needs of their schedule of their wants. Again, important, but I think when we all get a job and the manager says, this is your job and this is what you do because I tell you to, we don't always say, well, what's the importance of that? Some top executives or successful companies will often enlist the opinion. But an a la carte would give you both. A flex would give you both online and then face-to-face, -face, which I think is the direction we're heading. 
And lastly, enriched virtual. This model is an alternative to full-time online school that allows students to complete the majority of coursework online, at home, or outside of school, but they can attend school for required face-to-face -face learning sessions. Unlike flipped, the flipped classroom and rich programs usually don't require daily attendance. Some programs may only require twice-a-week attendance, for example. So when we start talking about attendance, now we're getting into something that's not necessarily about instruction, but it does seriously hamper successful instruction if students are not present. And at what time is it okay to give students the reins on this to make these decisions? Some might say high school. I'm not sure that it's really age-specific. I think we have to be responsibility-specific. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's something that you need to consider, you know, if you're going to create what is called by some a hybrid or flipped classroom where the attendance maybe is they're only required to attend if their grade falls below a particular level or if there are <clears throat> Excuse me. If there are particular lectures or content that has to be teacher driven, that they need to be present for. Those are some tough decisions because you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit. And you're hoping that when you make a broad attendance policy, that those that are able to keep their grade up are still responsible enough to continue keeping that grade up. And that if they don't, that they attend class. And, you know, there's some responsibility and maturity levels there that I think may grow with a class like this. If we give students a chance to do it. But on the other side, it could also be detrimental. I think it really has to go with what your gut and uh, tells you what is best. I, I have to say, overall, I am a form a little more traditional I say a flipped classroom where they can still come every day and I can utilize online for some content delivery of introductory skills and um, introductory skills and say practice etudes, that type of thing, quizzing, testing. But when they come into class, I can work with them on a little deeper knowledge and it allows me then to also assess where where are they. How are they doing? And I'm able to personalize it a little bit more. So going to that big buzzword of personalization, which I think is probably one of the more powerful words that tech gives us the capability of doing, personalizing education much more than just handing out a little different worksheet or uh, using crayons instead of ink. I, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think back to my days of early teaching and as a student and personalization was not a big thing. You, the person had to figure out how to fit in to the learning. And now we need to fit the learning to the person. So, so we personalize, I'm going to, ha I have a couple of suggestions and utilizing some tech that I have highlighted in earlier podcasts. So you might want to go back and take a look particularly I'm going to focus on Google Sites. So that's my next section. I hope you enjoyed this little section here about blended learning. And like I said, I think I think it's the way of the future uh, in educational classes, uh, K-12. Uh, 
obviously we're going to have to figure out the pedagogy and we're going to have to figure out the most successful ways to do that. But I see lots of research supports the use of, uh, of this method. All right, so let's take a look at Google Sites. One of the pieces of tech that I started using when it was called Google Sites, and it's now called Classic, um, I really utilize more for just storing and presenting content that I was doing that I needed in a different way. I didn't really utilize it in the classroom, but when new Google Sites came out, uh, I found it much easier to use, and I have so many different sites that I have used just for either personal use or for classroom use. Most of the time, when I'm looking up tech, which I really enjoy doing, is looking at the new tools out there or what people are doing and ideas they have, I will often create a site to kind of compile all of those ideas. I've used it for training um, colleagues and presenting at uh, conferences. I have um, utilized it just to send, when someone says, hey, have you got an idea for this, that, or the other thing, I will send them a connection to a Google site or sometimes just put it on a page um, so they can go to the site and click on that page, but then they can also take a look at the other content there that I have So if they want to. So it's more about collaborating and sharing and um, you know trying to centralize it for, because it, it can be overwhelming if someone is not uh, crazy nuts like me and looking at tech constantly and how it's used. So Google Sites has a few uses that I think you'll see pretty commonly uh, suggested uh, student portfolios or any portfolios uh, because the ease of use of this piece of tech um, and its quick and easy interface with Google Drive. Um, it definitely is usable for portfolios, um, your class content, uh, training, as I said, and um, collection of your work. So if maybe you're looking up different articles or different things that you might want to use for some particular purpose, you can put them on that site and you can always then link so you find it or just leave it in your drive, I suppose, and then find it later. So um, you can create with Google Sites anything from any of the Google apps in the suite. Uh, and you can post it there and then it is accessible. Uh, the one thing you want to remember that you still need to put it in a folder that you would say anyone with the link can view. So anytime I set up a site, um, I have a folder is this called my shared folder, and I drop everything in there that's on the website uh, because some people will be accessing it from different accounts that may uh, may not give them automatic permission. So that's something that can kind of slip you up sometimes, but I think it's a good thing because maybe you don't always want to share everything with everybody. So you could do an individual and put it on the on the site, and if someone clicked it, it's going to send you that whole request, put them through to ask to request for permission to see versus if you put it in a shared folder, them having automatic uh, access to it. Um, I... Some of the reviews of Google Sites have often mentioned that they don't like that it's not very versatile. Uh, for my purposes and my students' needs, 
it's versatile enough. If you're wanting to create from scratch, then you probably want to go someplace that you can do some coding. Um, and this doesn't necessarily give you that ability. Although, I think if you searched uh, a little bit, you probably could figure out a way to do some coding in and uh, dealing and changing up your website, your Google website. But for me, that's not really what I'm. It, my students need. I'm not teaching a class that they need to utilize or develop those skills. Mostly, they need to develop ways to present and share and collaborate, um, communicate. <clears throat> so, you can. As you create different sections, when you either click on the right-hand panel, and you're, once you're at sites.google.com, and it gives you a new site, um, it starts with a, a particular template. And on the right-hand side of, the, of your computer screen is the menu that you can choose to insert things, or I always like to just double-click in the white area right below the title where it says My Site, I think it you know, defaults to. And it gives you choices like putting in text or embedding or um, getting something from your Google Drive or putting in a video. And I use, I've utilized all of those. I'm going to talk a little bit about each of them here right now. So when I put in a, a text, then off to the left-hand side of that, once I put the title of whatever the text there is for that, um, you can select the little art palette and search for an image and I like to just go to search they have some there that come up that you could just use as different backgrounds you know water stars or something like that but you can also go to where it says search and I like to just put a color in and say orange and sometimes you'll get pictures of oranges sometimes you'll get orange stripes or you might get a deeper orange you know just pick pick one that way um, I've also done things like 3D blue, and then I'll get a picture of a 3D blue box or something, or of a room that's more three-dimensional and mostly blue. So it allows for some creativity there. You can um, upload a picture or an original, say if you went to Google Draw and created something, uh, and then you save that draw file as a jpg you can upload pictures and put them in as the background um, so there is there are qu quite a few you know if you start thinking about that just those two suggestions give you quite a few options for creating um most i would say uh the most interactive portion of this uh, again if you wanted a lot of interactive uh, interactivity. I guess you'd have to code, put it in, but you can get quite a bit by utilizing slides or draw. Uh, slides, you can create a slide presentation separate and then insert it into your um, website and it will automatically show. And people can then click on the different slides or I believe it'll let them open it up in a new window. Um, Google Photos, you can put in a slideshow of photos if uh, if you have the access to that. Um, for me, I believe at school we have it limited. Um, for what reason, I'm not really sure other than maybe it would just overload or give you give some access to uh, social 
uh, people being able to get into people's uh, pictures from outside. So the schools are protective of that for the students, which is a good thing. But it is a little bit limiting. Protection is limiting. Um, you can link an embed. You can link a site and create a word and say, click here to go to the site. Sometimes when you put that link in, it will also give you a preview and it will show you the site. Um, sometimes if you're using something like I've used Wiser, W-I-Z-E-R dot M-E, to create a worksheet, uh, in a, a digital worksheet, and um, it will just show the banner of the website instead of the actual worksheet, even using the link of the worksheet. You want to embed the worksheet if you're going to do that. And it will, again, once you select embed and uh, or link, which are in the same portion of the um, interface to me when you're creating this section. So you'd click in the white area, as I said before, about creating text. You'd click in the white area. I believe on the left-hand side of the circle is a little embed code or a link um, logo insignia. You click on that, and you have two choices to either put the link in or you have to click on embed. You'll see the word embed, and it'll ask for the embed code. Once you do that, it'll give you a preview of whatever that code is linked to. And it will say, is this what you expected? Sometimes it'll even say, is not what you expect, then click back or something. Along those lines, it may or may not be what you want. So you have to kind of, again, take a little bit of time and play around with it. I think once you get used to it, though, uh, it gets a lot quicker. You'll find things that work well and some things that maybe don't work the way you think would meet the needs of your students. So I always link or embed. Um, videos, maps, calendars, all the other Google tools are hooked there. The YouTube when I say videos, but you can also take a video from your Google Drive. So if you were using Screencastify or any other video capturing uh, software that saves to your drive, it will put that in. Again, make sure that your video is in your shared folder or the permissions are set so that anybody can watch it. You can utilize that. You can put a Google form in. I particularly like doing this uh, if I did a, vo a video or I do a form for, say, uh, uh, exit survey or the start the class of how do you think we're doing right now on this? And then at the end of class, how do you think we're doing now? Better now or better now? When you use forms and it's in Google Sites, it will appear there as you would expect it just as you're inserting that form. But what I really like about Google Sites versus, say, some other website developing uh, software that I've used free online, sometimes it didn't always transfer very well to the phone, the operating system, but Google Sites does. And when you hit the little eyeball, eye logo up in the, I think it's more to the right, upper right of your screen, it will show you how it looks on a computer, but then if you look at the box, there's a little box to close out of the preview. Next to it is a tablet drawing and then a phone drawing, and it will show you what it looks like on each of those devices. And it's very useful, very useful. 
uh, I think it transfers well. They've figured out how to make it better than it was, say, 10 years ago, even five years ago. So you can see, so maybe that doesn't look the way you want it to and you need to move it around or maybe just create a text link and link the words to that form. You can do that. So how you do that, if you typed, if you click in the white area and create text, once you type the text in there, so maybe it says fill out this form, that's what that, what your title is going to be. You can make it larger by creating it as a title or a subheading. And then... You want to select that text, and you'll get a, a box that pops up, and there's a picture of the link, or insert link. When you do that, you click on that, you get the box to insert the link to the form, and then when they click on fill out the form, it takes them to the form to be filled out. You can also link that same way to other pages in your website, which is what I like to do. I like to create one main website page that people can then click and go to the other pages, which are hidden. They're all on the same web website, but I just don't show all of the pages in the website to everybody. I just show one page. And I always make sure to create a back-to-home page um, title box somewhere up, uh, up above there by the title. So they can go back, if that's even necessary. Sometimes they only need to get to the one page. Um, they may not have to click back and forth. I like to try and limit that for students particularly. Fewer clicks and get them into the meaningful portion of the learning. At least that's what I hope. That's my focus. Keep it as meaningful as possible. And utilizing that. All right. Some things I would suggest trying to use in your Google site. Uh, Padlet has worked very well. It looks good. Uh, Edpuzzle, which allows you to put in a, a video, which then asks questions. Quizlet, like little flashcards, and I already mentioned Wiser. Um, the biggest thing I think that you need is just the time and the patience. Once you're, once you're done with this, once you set this, it's done. And you don't have to worry about trying to find it again because you can always bookmark that. But sites are also saved in your Google Drive when you develop them so you can search for it in your drive. And it's there. And then you can either just update it for your entire class or maybe you take and create another page for students that need a little extra or need a little more uh, push to go deeper. So I suggest that one main page and hide the others. And you do that by going on the right-hand side in Google Sites up above. It gives you theme, pages, and then there's another choice that I don't use very much, so I'm not remembering. But the one you want is pages. And as you hover your mouse uh, on your pages, there are three dots that appear. Click on that, and one of the choices is hide from navigation. Once you do that, you want to be sure to create then a text box on your main page and link it. You know, you click the little link button, as again, as I said. And when you go to link, you'll notice that below it says link to pages. And you can select the page. So maybe you have one page that's band and the next page, uh, another page is uh, rhythm. So there's your band page. And so learn about rhythm here. 
you have the rhythm page then that has your information on that. So how would this transfer? How do you put these two together with the blended learning? Well, I mean, you can create your whole class presentation and uh, things you're doing just here on the sites. If you're not using Google Classroom or any other learning management system, you can kind of create your own uh, blended space. And there are plenty of other tools out there that would be great to utilize. But but the thing I think that makes Google Sites perhaps more usable is especially uh, for those of us that are already in the Google Drive and Google Docs and the Google applications. That's what, that's for me, Sites is very, is a go-to for me. It's a go-to tool. When I want students to create, um, I'm, I like using slides, but I find it being a little limiting and a little more mundane. Everybody's you know, doing presentations that way. But when you create a site, you're able to utilize more tools. And so that enables a development of creativity and critical thinking. And you can even assign groups and let them do pages and work on the same website, but they're working uh, on different pages. So give it some thought. Are one of those blended learning models good for you to try with say a lesson i didn't say do it all the time because i i'm still not sold that students need this all the time i still believe that there's a, a an amount of the social development that needs to happen and it, it really only happens when they are listening to a teacher and a teacher then motivates inspires a, di a discussion facilitates and I think it's hard to do that if everybody's sitting and looking at their computer. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. This has been episode 41, Blended Learning. How does it work for you? Um, try a little bit. I know some are really into it and know so much more about it than I do. Um, but like I said, I think it's all in, in what your students need. And don't forget about that. And that's the driving force. The curriculum is important. And we know that as professionals. But uh, students... Student needs are easier to meet now with technology. And we just have to figure out how to utilize that and get to everything that, that we need to get done from the past and add some of the new. So hopefully blended learning and Google Sites will help you do that. All right, you take care. Leave me a review, please. Love to hear from you too. Send me an email, olddognewtech10, olddognewtech10 at gmail.com. Take care. This has been Old Dog New Tech with Jeff West. You can reach me at olddognewtech10 at gmail.com. That's olddognewtech10 at gmail.com. Send me an email or leave me a review on iTunes. And remember, when integrating tech into your classroom, don't try to be perfect. Just be patient.